0: Hello everyone, welcome to The Rivers Virtual Sunday Service. My name is Allison and I am the Assistant Pastor here. We are currently in a sermon series called Understanding the Bible Through Jesus. We are going through the Bible and reading the stories through the lens of God's unconditional agape love. For the last few weeks, we have been looking at the life of Abraham. After many, many years of waiting, Abraham and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac grew up and married a woman named Rebekah. Today, we're going to take a look at some stories about Rebekah's twin sons, Esau and Jacob. The Bible tells us that the first to be born was red and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which means hairy in Hebrew. Esau was also referred to as Edom, meaning red, in part because of his red skin and also because of an instance when he sold his birthright to his younger brother for red stew. The second to be born came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. In Hebrew, Jacob means he grasps the heel which is a Hebrew idiom for he deceives. This is our first hint of what Jacob's character will turn out to be like. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And so we see the stage being set for some sibling rivalry and family dysfunction with one parent, Isaac, favoring Esau and the other parent, Rebekah, favoring Jacob. When Isaac was old, suffering from blindness and unsure how much longer he would live, he called Esau to him. Isaac instructed Esau to go hunt some wild game and prepare some tasty food after which Isaac would offer Esau his blessing. While Esau was out hunting, Rebekah devised a plan for Jacob to trick Isaac and receive the blessing intended for Esau. She told Jacob to go out and choose two choice young goats so that she could prepare the tasty food for Isaac. After hearing the plan, Jacob had some concerns. He worried that his smooth skin would give him away and that he might bring down a curse upon himself instead of a blessing. Rebekah reassured him saying, let the curse fall on me. So Jacob followed Rebekah's instructions. He went out and got the goats and Rebekah prepared the food. Then Rebekah dressed Jacob in Esau's clothing and covered Jacob's hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins so he would be hairy like Esau. When Jacob was finished getting ready, he presented himself to his father, Isaac. Jacob went close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him and he ate and he brought some wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here my son and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew." and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. After receiving the blessing, Jacob left. Moments later, Esau returned and Isaac discovered the deception. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him Lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. Then Esau wept aloud. His father, his father Isaac answered him, your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow the restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, "'The days of mourning for my father are near. "'Then I will kill my brother Jacob.'" Wow, this story is so interesting and it brings up so many questions. For example, how are we supposed to feel about Jacob? Are we supposed to be rooting for him to succeed in his trickery? or hoping that he'll fail? And why didn't Isaac offer blessings to both of his sons from the start? We aren't talking about inheritance here. We are talking about a blessing, a prayer for God's favor and protection. Didn't Isaac hope that both of his sons would experience good things in life? And why did Isaac go along with Jacob's scheme? Once the deception was realized, couldn't Isaac have just offered Esau a blessing as well? What held Isaac back? Was it pride or a mistaken belief that God's blessings are limited and scarce? What exactly is going on here and where is God in all of this? Today I want to offer some perspectives that can help us make meaning out of the Jacob Esau story and that can guide us as we seek to answer these questions together. First, Early listeners may have celebrated and rooted for Jacob and Rebekah. The earliest versions of Jacob's story likely date all the way back to the oral traditions told by tribal Israelites. Many stories told during that period featured characters, like Jacob and Rebekah, that scholars broadly refer to as tricksters. Biblical scholar David Carr describes the trickster as a character whose ability to survive through trickery and even lawbreaking is celebrated in religion, literature, or another part of culture. Anthropologists have long noted that many cultures, particularly cultures of more vulnerable groups, celebrate such tricksters who survive against difficult odds. Isn't that an interesting idea? That due to their status as tricksters, Jacob and Rebecca may have been celebrated? that the focus of the original audience may have been on their cleverness, resourcefulness, and resilience, rather than their dishonesty and deceit. Carr explains that this is because early listeners may have identified more with Jacob and Rebecca than with Isaac and Esau. Rebecca, as a woman and Jacob as the second born who was not favored by his father, possessed less power within the family unit. And yet together, through their wit, they triumphed over the more powerful Isaac and Esau. The early Israelites, who did not yet have a king and were vulnerable to attack in unwalled villages, may have felt encouraged by seeing these tricky underdog ancestors succeed. That God would choose to work with and bless the younger, less athletic son over the firstborn, may have given them hope in the midst of their own circumstances. So does this mean that we should all go out and lie and cheat to gain power? No, of course not. After all, trickster tales can be just as helpful in illustrating paths we shouldn't follow. However, at the same time, it is important that we do not write off Jacob and Rebecca altogether for not being moral enough. We can learn a lot by paying attention to how tricksters like them shook up the status quo, challenged existing power dynamics, and reimagined the world around them. After all, Jesus himself was a bit of a trickster. Jesus didn't lie or cheat, but he embodied many of the characteristics of a literary trickster. Tricksters are clever, they create and recreate. They cross boundaries. They challenge authority. They expose hidden truths. They often journey on the road. They find themselves in the margins of society. They move between heaven and earth and the living and the dead. Sounds like Jesus, right? Dan Allender points out that tricksters and prophets share much in common. He says, Another word for this is a prophet. That is somebody who exposes, who invites, who intrigues, whose storytelling and ways of being in the world simply disrupt our comprehension of how we normally live. So what can we learn from Jacob and Rebecca? What can they help us to see anew? When we approach Jacob and Rebecca from a place of learning rather than judgment, we can see hints of the coming Kingdom of God that Jesus preaches in the Gospels. In our River Kids and River Youth program, we often talk about the upside down love of God. The kind of love where the first will be last and the last will be first. Where the poor are rich and the rich are poor. Where the least are the greatest and the greatest must be servants. Jacob and Rebecca point us in the direction of this upside down love. They remind us that our value is not based on power or worldly status or talent or even morality. It is rooted in the unconditional agape love of God where each and every one of us is chosen and cherished. Another perspective that can help us make sense of the story of Jacob and Esau is, Later readers approach the story through the lens of current events. While the earliest versions of Jacob's story go all the way back to the oral traditions told by tribal Israelites, scholars date the written version of Genesis to the period of the monarchy, not long after the time of David. And as you'd expect, the way the story was told was shaped by the events and perspectives of the time. You can think about it like the television show, The Crown. While the show depicts events from the past, it does so while being influenced by current events and by the creator's perspectives and understandings in the present. One way to read the story of Jacob and Esau is as a political allegory, where Jacob represents the Kingdom of Israel and Esau represents the Kingdom of Edom. This would have been obvious to the original readers because Jacob and Esau are actually named for the two kingdoms. Later in Genesis, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And we already know that Edom, meaning red, is Esau's nickname. In case that wasn't clear enough, the writer spelled it out like this. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife Rebecca became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. According to this passage, each child represented a nation. The younger nation, Jacob Israel, would be stronger and would be served by the older nation, Esau Edom. Later in the Bible, we see this play out. According to 2 Samuel, the nation of Edom came under Israelite control under David. Then, according to 2 Kings, about 150 years later, Edom revolted during the reign of the southern Judahite king, Jehoram. Don't Isaac's decisions and words of blessing to Jacob and the sort of anti-blessing to Esau make more sense given this context, especially this line to Esau. You will serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. That is exactly what happens with the nations of Israel and Edom. I am amazed by the Bible's ability to continue to speak truth to people in very different places and times, but it's important to note that depending on context, the same story can resonate in very different ways. For example, with the Jacob and Esau story, the tribal Israelites drew strength from seeing tricksters triumph, while readers of Genesis in the monarchic period adapted the story to make sense of their own political realities. This brings me to my last point. When we come to the Bible, we experience it through the filter of who we are as individuals and as a community. Our interpretations of the stories are shaped by the language we speak, the time period we live in, the culture around us, the identities we hold, including gender, race, class, age, sexual orientation, nationality, and so on. The characters we are drawn to and how we perceive them will vary based on our experiences, our roles, such as being a parent or not, our birth order, our faith backgrounds, and by the lenses we choose to adopt when reading the Bible. We advocate for the lens of God's unconditional agape love. Our experience of the Bible is enriched when we acknowledge our lenses including both their strengths and limitations, and also intentionally seek out perspectives that differ from our own. So I wonder, how is the story of Jacob and Esau resonating with you in particular? How might God be speaking to you through it? Which character in the story, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, or Esau did you most identify with and why? Who were you rooting for? or against? And how is that influenced by the forms of power and identities you do or do not hold? I would love to hear your answers to these questions and any other thoughts you may have on this story. If you are interested in discussing this sermon together, please join our sermon discussion group during the Zoom service. The service starts at 11 a.m. Eastern time and the discussion group, group kicks off around 11.45. I hope to see you soon and have a wonderful week.